Good morning, church. It sounds like you're ready to dream in 2017. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. And uh, we'll start our first service off of the year together. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we are so grateful to um, have made it here safely. And uh, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to make it home safely. But God, while we're here getting warm and cozy, I pray that you help us to connect with your word, to open wide our hearts, and to receive the message you have for us this morning. God, I pray that you'll speak through me, let my words be yours, and I pray that we'll leave here inspired, encouraged, and ready to move forward into another year. Uh, we pray that you'll help us to embrace all the, the challenges and all the blessings that you have in store for us, us this year. We love and thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 2017 is finally here. Right? I know some of us are like, thank God. 2016, good riddance. And don't want to see you again, which you'll never will. But, you know, sometimes we can get stuck in a year, right? Especially if it was a good year. If it was a good year, you don't want to leave that year like, no, 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 no. You try to hold on to it. But I believe God has some better things in store for us this year. And it may not come the way we hope or the way we expect, but there's always opportunity to grow with another year. And so I have a simple message for us this morning, hopefully to set us up, uh, to set our minds in the right direction, hope, hopefully to steer our hearts in the right direction. And the message is simply this, how to succeed in 2017. How to succeed in 2017, because at the end of the year, you want to be able to say you made some progress, that you saw some growth in your life. Now, I know a lot of us would like to see some growth in our bank accounts, but I can't, I can't talk to you about that. That's between you, God, and your financial advisor. But spiritually... I believe that at the end of the year, we can look back on our year and say, man, I've grown. And it's even more encouraging when it comes from other people. Wow, you know what? You've really grown. I mean, isn't that encouraging when you've worked hard and, and you know, sometimes you come, you know, uh, oftentimes people say, man, you look good. Like, you know, you look like you lost some weight. And I'm thinking, no, I didn't. But amen that somebody saw something. But then, you know, it's like, well, what, how much was I? How big was I before? I mean, you know, because I'm thinking I'm big now, so it's like, you know, but take the encouragement, all right? If someone sees and notices some growth, take the encouragement, all right? But I believe to help us succeed in 2017, there's a few things we can learn from the book of Nehemiah. Um, uh, you know, before we move forward, you gotta, you got to be able to stop and do some self-reflecting. And, and I believe that that's what we can take away from Nehemiah here. The first thing we see is that when Nehemiah, before taking on this huge goal that he had before him, he, he had to assess the situation. And I think for us, before we can move forward and, and with all the plans and all the resolutions that we've made, we've got to stop and think about 2016 a little bit and review it. And so my first point is simply review it. Go back. Look at the year you've had, and then decide what steps you need to take to move forward. 
You know, for most of us, going somewhere unfamiliar, you'll use a GPS. A GPS usually starts off by saying, you are here. And then you punch into where you want to go, and then it maps out a route to where you want to go. But you got to start somewhere, right? And so by reviewing where you are, you're starting somewhere. Because you know where you want to go, but you got to take, and most of us will take the simplest route possible, right? And that's, that's, there's some wisdom to that. You can't attack everything in your life that you realize once you review all the things that you want to work on, you can't attack everything altogether. And so you got to first figure out where am I, where do I want to go, and how can I get there? And, and I believe that Nehemiah can help us, uh, help us uh, with that decision. You know, first, by reviewing, it allows us to see where we were at. And we'll talk a little bit about once you realize where you've been. We'll get to, you know, I got some points for that as well. But I would encourage us to look at the good things that happened to us in 2016. Sometimes we only see the bad things. We only remember the things that were horrible or unpleasant or unexpected. And sometimes that can that can really discourage us for looking forward to a new year. Some of us was not looking forward to 2017 because maybe there's some things in 2016 that, that, that shook your faith a little bit. And so just the thought of going through another year of those type of challenges, you may think, you know what, I'm not looking forward to another year. And so I want to encourage you, as you're reviewing your year, to think about all the ways God had blessed you. Look at all the opportunities that God had presented to you, all the, the, the circumstances that God has pulled you through, and give him the glory for it. Ask yourself, what did I struggle with last year? What was the thing that kept coming up in my life? And where can I grow? And if we look together in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 1, this is a very, very interesting book. If, you ever, if you're deciding on a book to read this year, I want to encourage you, read Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned him about the Jewish, Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. This is not good news. He wasn't happy about the news he had received, but guess what? It was the truth. You know, as we reflect, we'll, we'll, we'll be tempted to avoid accepting the truth. But he stepped back. He allowed himself to process the truth. He allowed himself to process what he, what he found out. And he realized, you know, this is not a good time. You may look back at 2016 and say, you know what, it wasn't a good year. And as you analyze your present situation, you'll be able to make wise decisions. How did it go for you last year? 
And think about specific areas. Here's a, let me offer a few. When you look back at 2016, ask yourself, how was my relationship with God? In the 365 days that God had blessed me with, how consistent were our times together? That's a very honest question to ask yourself if you're a disciple of Jesus. What was your relationship with your family like? How was your marriage? Did you and your wife, were you good at resolving conflicts? Are there some things lingering into 2017? How about with your children? How did it go with your children? Now, being a parent, I know that that can always be up and down. One minute, you're like, God, thank you. Thank you for blessing me with these great children. And then the next minute, you're like, Lord, why me? Why? But then, you know, when you step back and you realize, you know, children are a blessing. Children are a blessing from God, and they're praying, and they're like, Lord, why me? You know, so don't get so caught up in how difficult our children are. How about your other relatives, your extended relatives? You know, sometimes that can be a challenge. You know, maybe it's not, which maybe you, you and your wife had a fantastic year. Maybe you and your children had a wonderful year, but you and your, your brother, your sister, your parents didn't have such a good time. You know, these are things that we got to consider. What about your relationship with the church? What was that like in 2016? How was your discipleship, your one another relationships? How much opportunities did you pass up to serve? Or how often did you serve? You know, if you did a great, if you, if it was great, then keep it going. You know, I think we also need to build on our strengths as we focus on our weaknesses. Don't stop working on your strengths just to attack your weaknesses. Keep building on your strengths as you focus and attack on your, on your weaknesses. What was your relationship with the lost like? Did anyone come to church with you last year? I know for me, this is one area I personally want to attack because when you, st when you get busy and you're so focused, you realize, wait a second, another week has gone by. And that can easily turn into a month, two months, half a year, and before you know it, a whole year has passed by and you've come to church but you hadn't brought anyone with you. How did it go with helping people come to Christ or come back to Christ? Were you involved in any Bible studies last year? You know, these are all sobering questions. If you're in school or in your career, what type of employee were you last year? Were you on time? How were you with the company's resources? Did Facebook take up a lot of your time? Were you tweeting while you were on the clock? How were your grades? As disciples, you, just because you're under the grace of Jesus doesn't give you a pass for, for failing grades. We got to be a light wherever we are. And so these are areas we have to go back and look at. Nehemiah reviewed without being glued to the problems. You know, sometimes when we reflect, we have to resist the temptation to be stuck on the things that may have went wrong. Amid the bad news, God had provided an opportunity for Nehemiah to do something great. God had put a dream in his heart, and he was determined to see this dream realized.
but he would not have seen it realized had he had stayed stuck on the bad news. He didn't stay stuck or glued to the bad news. Before you commit to your New Year's resolutions, take some time. Be still with God. Ask God, where do you want me to focus my time and attention? Where are you taking me? You know, I tell you, every year I pray what I call scary prayers. I ask God to do whatever it takes to help me to grow that year. And every year I pray that prayer, something unexpected happens. And I'm like, what is going on? And then God reminds me, uh, you remember that prayer you prayed at the beginning? He said, I don't forget your resolutions. You may have forgotten. I don't. And when I find myself complaining, God brings back to memory the prayer I prayed at the beginning of the year. You said that you wanted to grow. And I'm helping you grow. And so... When we go through the trials and, and, and the tribulations of life, you see, God refines us by fire. And so you can't be refined if you're not in the furnace. You've got to allow yourself to go through whatever it is that God has taken you through to bring about the growth that you and God wants to see happen in your life. When we're tempted to take shortcuts or stop the process, we fail to grow. It's just like when we go to the gym. We hadn't been there for months. And we go in, we're like, this is the year. I'm taking this, this Planet Fitness $1 uh, membership, and I'm going to turn it into a $10,000 body. And we go to the gym. We hadn't been there in months. And as soon as we get on that treadmill, we start to feel pains in areas we never felt pain before. And we're thinking, is this what it means to get in shape? That I will stay out of shape and love Jesus because, look, God doesn't look at appearance alone. He looks at the heart. So I'll work on my heart, and I'll just trust God with the rest. We start feeling uncomfortable, and right away we want to quit. But you can't quit, especially when you realize, man, you know, there are areas in my life I didn't do so well in last year. Don't stay glued to it. Review it and then move forward. Move forward. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, look, look, look what Nehemiah did. You know, he heard this bad news and, you know, sometimes if you really want to grow, Ask someone else what your year was like last year. Nehemiah got this bad news from other people. And sometimes we don't really want to ask that question. Like asking your spouse, do you feel loved by me today? That's a very scary question. But if you want the honest truth, just ask. You might be surprised. Yes, you make me feel loved. Ask your children. How's, my, how's it going with my parenting? Do you feel like I'm a good listener? If you really want to grasp, only if you really want to grow. If you don't want to grow, don't ask those questions. Just, just stay in la-la land, and, and you'll be all right. 
God will find another way to help you deal with that. But Nehemiah prayed and he fasted before deciding what to do. Once he received the bad news, in Nehemiah 1 verse 4 says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You know, scholars believe that he prayed and fasted for four months before he actually went to the king and asked for permission to go to Jerusalem. But he took some time. Now, I'm not saying you need to take four months. But Nehemiah took some time to really get in touch with the severity of the situation before he decided to do something about it. Sometimes we let hype push us in directions that we probably would have done well in if we had deeper conviction about. Hype and conviction are not the same thing. You can be fired up about something, and once it's uncomfortable, that's it. I'm a New York, it's no, it's no, no secret, I'm a New York Knicks fan. I'm a diehard New York Knicks fan, for better or for worse. Now, we've had people come on the bandwagon. When we're doing good, people are Knicks fans. They start coming out the woodwork. When we're doing, it's like a desert. You can't find another Knicks fan. We don't want to be that way with God. You can't be a fair-weather friend when it comes to your relationship with God. Either you're in it or you're not. If you're in it with God, then you got to be in it through the good and through the bad. And we got to let our love for God push us through those times of bad news. You know, Nehemiah reflected. He went to God. He prayed. He fasted. But, you know, something also, something I believe that if you really want to grow, Nehemiah, the thing he did next will definitely help if you imitate. He owned it. He owned the situation. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, listen to what it says. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Now, Nehemiah is taking responsibility here. He said, I, we, myself, and mine. He didn't say him, her, they, or them. But get this, he wasn't even in Jerusalem. So why would he take responsibility? Why would he pray this prayer? He wasn't there. It wasn't his fault that the walls were broken down. He was a prisoner. But you see, Nehemiah didn't distance himself from God's people because of what was going on. And I think that that's, that's very humble of him because he didn't just go to God and say, God, forgive them. Because he wanted, he took this personal. He took it personally. Sometimes we think we're exempt from the problems in the church. We stand back and we look at all the things that are wrong, 
And it's easy to point out what needs to change, but when you don't include yourself in it, you don't feel responsible for helping to see it rectified. It's always easy to point out and be a critic of what's going on and what needs to change and what's wrong. And sometimes we'll even go as far as saying, I'll come back when you fix this. That's not what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah was connected. He was connected. This was personal for him. You know, it's hard for us to get involved sometimes when we don't see our part. Nehemiah said, we, three times in his prayer, he didn't blame anybody. He owned it. Sometimes the hardest thing for us to do is own our part in the problem. We have arguments, we have disagreements, and it's so clear the other person's sin. But it's very hard to see how we contributed to that problem. Someone speaks to us, uh, you know, and look, not, to, not for nothing, people are just sinful sometimes. Sometimes you can be a good person and not, not do anything, and somebody who's just having a bad day unloads on you. But then... You know, there's scriptures in the Bible to help us even with that. You know, we, we justify sometimes, you know, our actions with our bosses who are harsh. We're like, well, I'm not working hard because they're harsh. They're mean to me. There's actually a scripture in there to help you with that. Submit to your earthly masters, even the harsh ones. But we don't want to own that part because their sin is so blatant, so obvious. And you see, we cannot grow if we don't own where we're at, if we don't own our part. And the church as a whole won't grow if people are making excuses and distancing themselves for helping to solve the problem. We can't grow without you. The Bible says that we're all ligaments holding the body together. Everybody is needed. Show me a body that will function with missing ligaments. Show me a body that's strong without, without its joints holding it together. It just doesn't work. And when we don't see our own mistakes, we make excuses. Sometimes we get upset when the debt collectors call or, or when we got to pay a bill. We get mad at the companies. You know, if you miss a payment or, or you get something in the mail, you answer the phone like, how dare you call me? They're like, uh, you owe us some money. You didn't pay your bill. And we get upset. I mean, I've seen people yelling at, at the workers, you know, they, they didn't pay themselves. Why you cut my cell phone off? Um, isn't it obvious? Like, you, you didn't pay your bill. Well, you, shouldn't, you didn't have the right to turn it off. Uh, yeah, if you went, if you read the long 10-page contract that you signed when you got the phone, you would have known that's what happens when you don't pay your bill. But whose fault is it when we're in debt? You can't, you can't blame MasterCard. That's your, you know, if you, if you got debt, own it. That's your baby. 
That's yours. You nurtured that. You watched it grow. You fed it. Especially last Christmas, I know you fed it. You, you feed it. It's nobody's fault but yours. But we get upset because we, we don't take ownership. Yeah, I found this story. <laughs> Three L.A. men are suing Chipotle because they felt too full after finishing their burritos. David Desmond couldn't believe his eyes when he walked into the Brentwood Chipotle and saw a gleeful sign advertising a 300-calorie chorizo burrito. It's a picture of it right there. It was too good to be true. 300 calories? Look at the size of that thing. And it came with white rice, black beans, fresh tomato salsa, and a sprinkle of cheese. Surely... Something must have been wrong. But eager to experiment with Chipotle's apparently new low-calorie option, Desmond purchased the advertised burrito. While eating it, however, he realized something was wrong. From a complaint filed this week in the Los Angeles County Superior Court, Desmond claims he felt excessively full and realized that the burrito couldn't have been just 300 calories. I mean, seriously, you get a burrito that weighs a pound and you think it's 300 calories? (laughs) All together, Desmond, and there were two other guys, Gurevich and Kim, claim that the company's advertising misled consumers into believing somehow that burritos weighing more than a pound are healthy. I mean, come on. Anybody can take a look at that thing and know that's got to be at least 2,400 calories. I mean, you old Manhattan people remember Burritoville, right? When I was in college, we used to go down there for discipling times, and I always left excessively full. I mean, the thing had to weigh a pound and a half. It was delicious. I enjoy it, but I never went in there thinking that I'm going in there to lose weight and to cut on cal. I knew what I was getting myself into. Sometimes people will go to extreme lengths to avoid taking responsibility. This year, decide that you're not going to be that type of person. You're not going to blame other people for where you're at spiritually. You know, the one another scriptures are not in the Bible to free us from taking personal responsibility. Carry one another's burdens does not mean that you dump your burdens on someone and say, all right, take care of that and let me know when you figured it out. No, the only person in the Bible that I've read that actually invites us to give them our burden is God. God never intended for people to fix us. We're a family. We're a community of believers that come together to help strengthen and encourage one another. We should not put the burden of fixing us on other people. That's God's job. Jesus will fix it. That's what the song says. Isn't that what we sing? We don't sing James will fix it. 
We don't think John will fix it. We don't think Zalika will fix it. We don't think anybody will fix it but who? Jesus. Jesus will fix it. This is why we need to be in our Bibles daily. Because the Bible helps us. The Bible can, it says that the Bible thoroughly equips us. The Bible thoroughly equips us. And the responsibility for people who use the Bible, even the expectation for those people, is someone who correctly handles the word of truth. Because if you don't correctly handle the word of truth, you're not helping nobody. You can't help yourself. And so the only way to correctly handle the word of truth is you've got to be in it. If you're not in the Bible, there are things you could forget. There are things you could misinterpret. For a long time, people thought that those who helped themselves, God helps those who help themselves in the Bible. Until someone asked them, show me the verse. Uh, I thought it was in there. Yeah, because you don't read your Bible. You know, don't underestimate the power of the scriptures. In Ephesians 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. It says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, this is the purpose of our times together, is, is the goal is maturity, is to help each other to grow. Verses 14 through 16. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of wind and teaching and by the cunningness and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. A healthy body is a body that properly functions. When the respiratory system functions the way it was designed, it is healthy. When disciples of Christ function the way they're designed, we're healthy. If every one of us functions the way we were designed, the church is healthy. But we got to take our times with God seriously. We have to prioritize our times in the word. You know, the goal is to be healthy, to be strong. Even so, <clears throat> that when someone is, 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 is not there for you, you can stand firm on your own. You're not always going to have a disciple there in your corner. You're not always going to have someone available to get advice from. And I remember, uh, I believe it was the first or second anniversary, my wife and I, we had a bump. We were way in the Poconos, and we were calling all, of, all the people we would normally call for help. Not one of them picked up the phone. Nobody was available. And so she being a disciple of Jesus, I being a disciple of Jesus, we had to work it out through prayer and with just the love of God and the word. We had to work it out. Sometimes there are not going to be people there available to help you. 
But we got to be strong in the Lord and rely on him and the strength that he provides. You know, that's not always going to be there during the hard times. But I believe that that's when we grow and we mature as we develop more of a trust in God. We grow most when we go through those hard times. We grow most when we feel our weakest because then we experience the strength of God. Someone once said that the strongest trees grow where the strongest winds blow. They have to build up strength in order to withstand the strong winds, just as you and I. There's a lot Satan is waiting to throw our way this year. And the only way we're going to survive this is we got to be strong in the word. We got to get deeper into the word. When we dig into the word, when we see our need for God, that's when we grow the most. Some of the greatest times of growth have come from when we've messed up. Think about David and Bathsheba. David blew it big time with Bathsheba. But when you look at what David did, he owned it. Once Nathan pointed it out, he owned it. And when you read Psalm 51, you see David pouring his heart out, asking God for forgiveness. But he didn't stay glued to his mistake. He moved forward and he grew from it. And when we read in Acts, David is identified as a man after God's own heart. You don't call somebody who doesn't grow a man after God's own heart. A woman after God's own heart, that comes sometimes where we we get our biggest opportunities to grow when we have blown it. Because then you can show how you bounce back. He didn't stay glued to the guilt. He owned it. He accepted the consequences. And by the power of God, he was able to move forward. God is always there for us. And Nehemiah knew that. And that's why he went to God in prayer, which is the last point. The way he dealt with this situation is that he attacked it in prayer. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, plain as landing. Nehemiah 1, verse 4 says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. In verse 11, Oh, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. You know, we can't win spiritual battles without spiritual power. There will be opposition. Satan will send obstacles. And some of those obstacles will come in the form of people. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 4, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 4. Here again, Nehemiah goes to God in prayer. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Here we see Nehemiah is giving the situation over to God. He's taking it to God. Is someone trying to oppose you? Is someone giving you a hard time? Is someone making your life miserable? Give them over to God. Turn them over to God. 
If you've got rebellious children, you know what? I'm going to give you over to God. When my mother used to tell me that, it put the fear of the Lord Almighty in me. I'm like, what do you mean you're going to give me over to God? I'm not going to live here anymore. Who's going to feed me? Who's going to take care of me? No, 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 no. It just means that I am not going to spend another time worrying about your, your nonsense and your, your moment of rebelliousness. I'm going to give you over to God. And I'm going to trust God. Let me tell you something. It takes the worry and anxiety off of you. And it puts it right in God's hands. Because, see, when God deals with people, God doesn't just deal in vengeance. Although he says vengeance is mine, that's not always the approach he takes because God is looking at the whole life. When we're hurt, we want to get back. We want, we want, no, I want you to know how bad you hurt me. And we can't always trust how we respond to people who hurt us. But when we hand it over to God, God has their soul in mind. God has their salvation in mind. God will break them, but he'll break them for the purpose of hopefully having them turn around, just like he did with Paul. Because you never know the very person that's making your life miserable can be an instrument for God. And God can absolutely use. That's why you take it to God. Your husband giving you a hard time. You know what, honey? I love you. That's why I'm going to give you over to Jesus. Your wife nagging you, honey. You know, you said that about the hundredth time right now. You know, I, I think I'm going to give you over to the Lord. I, I'm going to let Jesus fix that. Like, babe, I would just ask you to take out the garbage. Jesus doesn't need to fix that. I mean, you could, you know. But what I'm saying is some, we carry unnecessary anxiety. Because we fail to just give it to God. Put their names before the Lord like Nehemiah did. Sometimes we let people's opinion throw us off. You're having a good start to the year. You're having a good time. You're in the gym. You're working now. You're doing whatever it is. You, 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 you finally got some traction going. And then somebody's opinion derails your whole plan. You know you don't have to do that, right? You know that studies, you know, I Googled it and it said that, you know, that gluten is okay. I mean, just whatever it is you're working on, there's somebody waiting to dump some bad news that they found on Google or whatever it is on your lap to derail you. And let me tell you something. You take it to God. Nehemiah 4 verse 7. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs... The Ammonites, the men of Ashdod, heard that the repairs of Jerusalem wall had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. They took it to God. Nehemiah took it to God, but then guess what? So did the people. They all took it. They were unified in prayer because they were unified about their purpose. We need everybody praying for this lost world. We need everybody praying for the city. We need everyone praying for their neighborhoods. We got to be unified in this. You know, it's not 
enough to just pray. We also have to do something. You know, they prayed, but then they also posted a guard. They, they took some action as well. And I believe that when we pray, the action that we take is our acting in faith and trust that God is going to do according to his will whatever it is we put before him. And God blessed it. You know, Satan is threatening to fight against us and stir up trouble against our families, against our youth and family. He wants to turn our teens against their parents and against one another. Satan wants to stir up trouble on our campuses. He wants to stir up and fight against our edge ministry and our singles. He wants to cause trouble in our marrieds. He wants our single parents to be troubled. He wants to stir up trouble and controversy on our careers, in our careers. He wants to stir up trouble in our chemical recovery and purity groups. He doesn't want people to believe that they can live pure and sober lives in Christ Jesus. He wants to stir up trouble with the full-time staff. He wants to turn people against their leaders and the leaders against their people. And he wants to keep issues, petty things that he only has power to do. He wants our interns to be terrified of taking a leap of faith to serving God's people. You know, Satan will throw whatever he can, whatever he believes will work. Here, the people were using their words, antagonizing, criticizing, just trying to throw people off. And sometimes, I don't, you know, that old saying, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me, that is not true. I don't know about you, but words hurt me. They hurt me. Sticks and stones do as well, but sometimes words hurt a little more. Physical wounds are a lot easier to, to recover from, but an emotional wound takes a long time. And if someone's words has caused you some emotional pain, it's, it takes time to get over that. And Satan knew that. He saw what Nehemiah and the people were trying to build. And so he sent enemies to attack them with their words, to try to, to, try to discourage what they were doing. And a lot of times, as we see from here, it came from right within the community. You know, here in Harlem, we're planning to, to have prayer groups, to, to, to focus this year on prayer. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's our goal. That's our focus. But not everybody's going to be on board. Not everybody's going to be unified with that. And we got to be prepared, and we're going to take their names to the Lord, just like Nehemiah did. Because I can't control nobody, and I, neither am I going to try. But I'll tell you one thing. I will put you before the Lord Almighty. I'm not going to lose sleep over it, but we will pray. We will pray because we, I believe we're trying to build, we're trying to restore a love for God in the church. How could you not be with that? But you'd be surprised. Not everybody's where they need to be. And when you put them before God, you put them before God in love. In Nehemiah chapter 6, and we'll close out here, Nehemiah 6 verse 9, says they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. 
and it will not be completed. But I pray, now strengthen my hands. You know, you're going to have to go to God throughout this year and ask God to strengthen your hands. Give me the spiritual stamina I need to continue on, to keep growing. Prayer was Nehemiah's weapon. It was their weapon. Now, they, they made sure everybody was prepared just in case it had to come to physical uh, altercations, but they didn't have to do that because they were equipped mostly with, they were equipped primarily with prayer. Sometimes we run to people before we run to God. Nehemiah took it straight to God. We could spend hours talking to people and five minutes talking to God about the situation. But Nehemiah went to God for that stamina. He went to God because he knew that God was going to make it happen. In Nehemiah 6, verse 16, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. They completed the wall in 52 days amidst all the opposition they were facing, all because they prayed and they put their trust in God he gave glory to God because at the end of the day, you and I are powerless to change things in our lives. But God is absolutely able. God is absolutely able. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 21. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Prayer is powerful. Prayer should not be underestimated. Prayer should not be neglected. Prayer should not be an afterthought. Prayer should not be something we just include in our service. Prayer should be what we center our service around. Prayer should not just be something we go to when we try to do everything else ourselves. Oh, let me go and talk to God about this. Prayer should be the first thing we do in good and in bad. Don't just pray when you're in trouble. Go to God. And ask him, like Jesus said, keep me from temptation. Preventative prayer. Ask God, keep me from temptation. Faith and prayer can move any mountain that Satan puts in our path. Nehemiah believed it. Nehemiah practiced it. And we see the results of it. According to God's will, it will be done. You know, I believe that the answer to Nehemiah's motivation to why he chose to go about rebuilding this, this, this Herculean task was found in Mark 12, verse 30, when Jesus says that the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That was his motivation, his love for God. That is what will keep us going. That is what, if we have that motivation, we will succeed in 2017. If we review it, if we own it, and we attack it with prayer, we will succeed. God will give us the glory. God will give us the victory. And we will have a much better year than we've had in the past few years because God wants to see us grow and God wants to see us take it higher. I love you guys. Thank you for your time. God be the glory.